0: Once again, welcome, welcome uh, this evening. In uh, the early Buddhist literature, there's uh, interesting texts. It's a text, the way it's translated is it's called the Book of Eights, and it's uh, the Pali word, Pali being the early scriptural language, one of the early scriptural languages of Buddhism. Uh, the Pali word is the Atakavaga. And it's, this, it's interesting because it's this small collection of poems. Some scholars feel that this collection of poems, they're some of the earliest teachings of the Buddha. And that they, some, some scholars feel like that these are the teachings of the Buddha before all the teachings got systematized. Like Buddhism is known for all these kinds of lists. So before all these lists and these all these confusing kind of systems, there were these uh, poems that were quite striking. And in these poems, one of the thing, things that uh, the Buddha emphasizes is that he centers some of this process of freeing our hearts and minds around our relationship to views and opinions, which I find interesting. So it's, in some ways, it's this process of being able to utilize views. I, I utilize views and opinions every day in my life and yet at the same time to be free of views and opinions. Like he says in this text in one place, he says, considering the doctrines, or you could say the views that people cling to, it does not occur to me to say, I proclaim this. Rather clearly seeing, but not grasping these views, I knew, and saw inner peace, or I knew and saw this inner freedom. I, I find this interesting because here in this passage, I, I feel like here we have this spiritual teacher who is cured, clearly utilizing doctrines at times, utilizing views and doesn't grasp at them, doesn't get entangled in those views, those opinions. And how does he do that? Through scenes, through seeing clearly the nature of views and opinions. And through that, there's a kind of inner freedom that happens. It's like he's discovered this deeper place to reside than just residing in certain views and opinions. And I find that inspiring because if I really look at my mind during the day, sometimes that's where it lands. Sometimes that's how I identify myself. I'm this kind of person that has these kinds of opinions, these kinds of views. I think there can be something really so enlivening, to, at least for me, to become curious about this. And I do have to admit, one of the reasons this realm has been so alive for me recently is because there's this course coming up that I'm teaching with a co-teacher of mine, Diana Clark, on viewing views, on really taking this deep dive into how to relate to views and opinions differently, skillfully. And so it's been on my mind, and then I get really excited about it. So I wanted to share with you some reflections before this course. And, And if you do wish to do so, there's still time to sign up for that course, which you can find on our website. And I also find it so relevant because uh, as the Buddha points out, it's this attachment to views and opinions or the language sometimes that he uses, this obsession with views and opinions that it entangles, I know my heart and mind at times, and it seems to entangle the hearts and minds of others in this whole dynamic of stress and suffering. And not only for myself or for ourselves, but those around us. For example, in in one place in these early texts, someone asks Sariputta, Sariputta is one of the chief monastics of the Buddha. Uh, Somebody asks him, "Why, why do people fight with people? You know, and during the Buddhist time, there was a tremendous amount of violence that was going on individual to individual and then Group of people to group to group of people. He was surrounded by a very violent uh, society and culture. And then Sariputta answers he says, it is because of attachment to views, adherence to views, fixation on views, addiction to views, obsession with views, holding firmly to views that human beings fight with human beings. Have you noticed this like I have? Sometimes it feels like it's all over the place. I'm not on social media, but it seems like that's so much of social media. (laughs) Somebody fighting with somebody around of you. And then in the news, so many examples. In our community here in Flagstaff, probably so many examples. In this nation, in this world. And have you ever noticed such a thing crop up in your own circle, your family, your circle of friends, your community? Have you ever noticed how fraught this can start to be, views and opinions, especially when they clash when I'm not on the same page as the person in front of me. So I find this to be important for myself and the troubled world that I live in. And and I feel like when I bring my dharma practice, this path and practice to this realm, it does feel like I can at least begin to hold the potential for more freedom. It's like I can find a deeper place to reside and also I'm able to utilize views. So the Buddha, his approach to views and opinions, I'm fascinated by, and this is what I wanna get into. What he was so interested in was more the process that happens that allows views to arise and the attachment to views and opinions to arise. So much more interested in the process rather than what the standpoint of that view or opinion was. So more about the process than the content. The process of the formation of views, the process of getting attached and entangled to views, much more than the content of a certain view. And I think the reason he was so interested, at least this is what I've noticed, is when I'm more aware of the process of the arising of views it's less likely for me to get hooked and trapped in certain views in a way that really makes me suffer, and sometimes the other person I'm talking to, you know, me harming them just out of my own unskillfulness. Because when I'm uh, tangled up, uh, sometimes I just make a situation worse. So it's a it's a a beginning step to to understand this dynamic. And as I've said, yes, to navigate the world skillfully, I need to have views and opinions. Like this is important. I sometimes even need to take a stand, but that might be really different than being entangled in a way that's, uh, rooted in a kind of suffering. So Let's dig into this a little bit more about this process. I, and I want to try to keep it simple, for the Buddha, the, the process of the arising and attachment to views, it's happening through a whole host of conditions that then give rise to views, that then give a rise to the attachment. And in one text, there are these two conditions, and I want to share with you these uh, some reflections surrounded about these two conditions around this. So one condition is how the mind how my mind, it either finds views either agreeable or disagreeable. You could say pleasant or unpleasant. And for those of you more familiar with Buddhist teachings, this is the, the world, world of Vedana or feeling tone. All right. so this is what the mind does. It either finds a, a view so often, maybe not always, but often it's gonna find a view to be either agreeable or dis- disagreeable. And that's an important condition and you'll get into hearing how this fits. And then the second condition is just attachment itself to a view. Or the word I would use, that's really helpful for me, is reactivity. It's like how the mind uh, can unskillfully grasp on to agreeable views and try to unskillfully fight with disagreeable views. Again, two conditions, views that are agreeable, disagreeable, and then the reactivity around them is the second condition. So the first condition of you being agreeable or disagreeable to the mind. It was so great. So about a, a week ago, I was listening to this um, interview with uh, D- Daniel Kenneman. He's a he's a Nobel po- uh, Prize winning psychologist and economist. Who he actually did a lifetime of research um, th- that I find that shed some interesting light on this first condition. And what he showed putting it into this Buddhist framework is that often my mind finds a certain view agreeable, not because it's accurate or based on reason, but rather because it merely aligns with the way I see the world. It aligns with me. And when it aligns with me and my world, guess what? I find it really agreeable. (laughs) Like this is how this mind functions. So for example, in the in the domain of political views, right? Let's take the most one of the most charged domains. This is what Daniel Kinneman says. He says, the real cause of your belief in a political position, whether conservative or radical left, the real causes are rooted in your personal history. They're rooted in the people who you trusted and what they seem to believe in it actually has very little to do with the reasons that come to your mind or little to do with why your position is correct or why the position of the other side is nonsensical. Do you hear what he's saying? I find this really interesting. And the reason why I find it interesting is because it doesn't feel this way to me. What it feels like to me is, I it can feel like I have somehow thought through a view that I hold dearly, and I have discovered the good reasons for that view, yeah. and then as a result, I have come to the conclusion that that view should be an agreeable view. <laughs> Am I the only one that feels the way? Am actually, you know, kind of now worried? All of you are kind of looking at there, like, but it feels like, like I'm, a, I feel like I'm a reasonable person. I really do, And that I think through things, and then. I have reasonable views. Am I the only one? uh, (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. I think you're telling me the only one. But actually, Daniel Kahneman, with all his research, is saying something that is quite different, that most of the time my mind begins with the conclusion. It begins with the agreeable view that I've learned from the people I trust and that this is indeed an agreeable view. And it's only after that, that I discovered the reasons to justify that agreeable view. So my mind switches it. So often there can be this, this idea that the way the mind thinks is it's gonna go through the reasons and then come to the conclusion that's the agreeable view. No, not always so. Much of the time, it's different. I learn something from people I trust, I trust them, and then I justify the reasons. So I want to give an example of this. So I want to have uh, to begin with this view that climate change is primarily human caused. Which for me, this is a view that I am deeply sympathetic to. Human caused caused climate change, and remember, this is a might be a tricky thing to listen to because I'm not. I, I'm not. I was thinking maybe I shouldn't have used this example, <laughs> but it's too late <laughs> because I, I, I'm inviting you to become more curious about the process that I'm going to be sharing with you more than the content of the view. And you, you'll, you'll see how this, this, this works out, but I, I am, I'm, I am deeply sympathetic to this and, and I think that's a good thing. That's something I'm going to continue with. And hopefully you're hearing this isn't about getting to a place where I'm okay with all views. It's getting to a place where I understand the process because then a lot of times there can be much more compassion and wisdom for myself and others. So human caused climate change. And sometimes what's happened though is when I come across who a person who denies human caused climate change, you know how I feel? I feel like they're not rational that their view is not based on reason and facts. And I think really all they've done is placed their confidence in the words and opinions of someone or some group of people who they believe are worth listening to on this subject. People who think it is not human caused. That's what I think about them. But hopefully you've heard yet I am just like them, I really am, I really am just like them in terms of my process around this particular view. My view, what if I were to really examine it, of human-caused climate change is not based on reason and facts. I have not spent the hours and hours and hours it would take me to carefully look over the many different research articles arising from different disciplines and from many different approaches that validate this notion of human-caused climate change. I haven't done that. I have not utilized a method of reason. And also, I have not carefully looked at some of the arguments calling human-caused climate change in the question. Often, I just merely dismiss them. So I, I haven't followed the rigorous path to make sure all of this is based on reason and rationality. That's a huge process, especially as something as complex as human, uh, human-caused climate change. Instead, what I have done is I've placed my confidence in the words and opinions of a group of people who I believe are worth listening to on this subject. Right? Yes, and it's true, I'm listening to a different group of people than people that have a different view namely the majority of the people in the scientific community engaged in utilizing to the best of their ability the scientific method to point out this dynamic of humankind might cause climate change. So are you hearing how the process is the same? This is really important. And it's, it's, it's good for me to remember this. I'm just like them. No us and them here. This is I'm a human being and they're a human being. They have a different personal history than I do. I have a different personal history than them. And as a result, we trust different people. And again, my point here is not to get you to change to question human-caused climate change if you're like me. That's not the point. It's not the point isn't to drop certain views. It's about understanding the formation. Do you see this? And do you see how? Really, this is what the Buddha is really curious about. This is what made him so radical. He's in this place with so many different views and he becomes curious, how is the mind coming to conclusion? How is it getting attached to these? And this is a basis of it. The mind is finding some views agreeable and some disagreeable. And it's uh, many times not based on kind of reason. And I do want to conjecture that many of the views you find agreeable is that you're like me. (laughs) They're rooted in the people that you trust rather than the reasons that come to your mind. And that, like my mind, you actually start with the conclusion and then find the stories and reasons to justify it. So this is the first condition, understanding how I come to find and discover agreeable and disagreeable views. And it reminds me, we are mammals, which means that we are by far more of a social creature than a rational creature. I have social networks and I depend upon those social networks to carry me forward in terms of my values. I'm actually not saying that's an entirely bad thing. I think it's just good to be clear about it. And of course this raises questions of who we trust and how to navigate that information from people who I trust. And that's the talk for next week. So I'll get into that. (laughs) There's a whole other facet of of Buddhist teachings around this, because that's important. It's it's important about community. Who do I trust? And then how do I engage in that that information skillfully? And also I wanna point out, I'm not trying to get the mind to stop from doing this. It's fine that it often comes to views in this way. There are things that I find helpful to add to this process, but this really is quite a human process. Really what I'm trying to do is to become more mindful of it and to understand it, so I don't get hooked in ways that are unskillful. So let's move on to the second condition, which is just the attachment now to those views, the reactivity. So I want to give an example of this, of kind of the flavor of reactivity, of, of when my mind is kind of really grasping onto my view, and I'm really trying to fight the quote-unquote other view. Many years ago, I was walking down the streets kind of in my neighborhood, and I uh, I saw a political sign. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember a feeling, and it was not an agreeable feeling that I was feeling. Right? right? <laughs> it felt disturbing to my mind, because my mind took the words on that sign to represent a very disagreeable view to this mind and this heart, just from that, that, that political sign. It probably didn't have many words on it, either. It could have just had one word on it to tell you the truth. <laughs> and there, there I was. And then what my mind did next was so fascinating. It had come to a certain conclusion. The conclusion that it came to was that it felt so clear that the people in that house were bad people. And it was like I I I can't believe I live in an area with people who think like that. <laughs> Right, And it felt, the thing is, is there was a feeling of certainty to that view, right? There was a view that was situated upon other views I had, and then I felt like I had a super clear view, view about the people in that house. But the truth of the matter is, I had no idea who the people were in that house. I don't know if they actually had put up that sign. I didn't even know if there were actual people in that house, mm-hmm. These were all things that my mind just skipped over. It was, it was not following any kind of reasonable track whatsoever. And even though it wasn't, it felt so certain. It felt a reasonable idea to have. That is a mind filled with reactivity. And the tricky thing that I've noticed about that particular mind that can f- be filled with reactivity is it can feel so right. And that's the allure of it, is I can feel so right about something that I don't know anything about. right? I, and I found my view of those people very compelling, not because it was accurate or based on reason, because it aligned with the way I see the world. It aligns with me and my world. That's attachment. So this this can fit really well with um, a dynamic that probably maybe some of you are aware of called confirmation bias. Um, So it's similar to that. Confirmation bias is this tendency of the human mind to seek out and to favor information that confirms one's held beliefs and assumptions, rather than looking at information that goes against that. So it's like, I feel like I'm just looking at the world and information, but I'm not. I'm always orienting to what feels right to me. It's this bias, even before I'm really clear what's there. And in this example, my mind wasn't only seeking out information to confirm my my views, it was actually creating that information. And I want to point out this whole experience was such a wonderful experience because I got to notice this dynamic of the arising of views and the attachment to them. And it's so helpful just to have that of like, interesting, this is what my mind does. Because if I can land that when I have this interest and I can notice this is what the mind is doing, I am much less likely to act unskillfully from it. I know what the mind's doing. It still might do it, but I know it's making up a story. And then if I were to ever meet those people, I can hopefully meet them newly, freshly, because I really don't know them. The Buddha has a phrase to express this particular kind of attachment to a view. view. It says what's at the heart of it is this sense of, Only this is true, and anything otherwise is worthless. It's when I have a view and it's so oversimplified and such a rigid sense of right and wrong, it can be so out of touch with the world and with others. And then an identity gets created out of this. Have you noticed sometimes the way we identify ourselves is around our views? I'm a person that has this particular view. I'm on this spectrum of the political spectrum. I hold this view about this, this issue and that issue. And sometimes then we we surround ourselves around people with similar views. And then I distinguish myself from people because they have a different view than me. Have you ever noticed how, how essential this is? Which to me is kind of weird because there's so much more to a human being than just their views. At least this is the way I feel about myself. It seems such a narrow thing to tell you the truth. So two conditions, the way the mind finds views agreeable and disagreeable, and then the reactivity, the attachment. And then I create a kind of self out of this. And hopefully you're hearing the, the, the power that can come, as I noticed I gave you in that example of when I begin to notice it, just the noticing it allows me to be free of it. And when I have this freedom, again, I wanna be clear, I still have particular uh, political views. Do you hear that that's actually not the problem? What is more the problem is how I wield them or the assumptions that kind of uh, cascade out of them uh, that can be misdirected. And this is what the Buddha points out is, is, what's important for views is how you hold them. So in the Dhammapada, the sayings of the Buddha, he gives this ex- example of holding some kusa grass. So kusa grass was the ceremonial grass uh, during the Buddha's time. And it's, uh, you could say it's kind of like uh, bear grass. Anybody know bear grass? Mm -hmm. So if you think about bear grass, which is this kind of um, uh, sharp grass or kusa grass, if you have the bear grass in your hand and your hand is open and you slide the the grass through your hand, it's, it's not gonna cut you at all. But once you hold onto it and then pull it out, it's gonna completely cut into your hand. The same with kusa grass. So it's how you hold your views, yeah, to have views, but if you hold tightly, people are gonna get cut. So how, how do you have, how do I have an open hand with views? I need to practice it again and again. One is, noticing these kinds of dynamics like I just shared with you? Can I become curious about how I am framing the world I live in? Where is that coming from? Can I pause to notice what the mind is doing? Can I start to get a feeling sense of when I'm hooked by a view? Because it does feel a certain way to me. I, I know this feeling. I can go into a situation, like for example, this is skillful so difficult to talk about these things. I had, I I was raised Catholic and I had gone, I was teaching a retreat at a a Catholic monastery and I went to what's called Vespers uh, uh, prayer time, which is beautiful. I love the chanting. So I was there as the chanting and it was so beautiful. And then I remember afterwards, there was some very explicit political views that were expressed that I could just feel like I could feel the tightening. It wasn't like, oh, I disagree with that. It was more like I had to get out of there. You know, it more like it was over the top from my system. And all I did know is like, this is not a time to have a conversation about this because it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Because I also know about views. Remember, if views are based on mostly who I trust, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they don't trust me, they're not interested in my point of view. They're not going to be no matter how reasonable I am. I think this is really important to remember just relationally, so I practice it. Another exploration, and I I know that some people may be not as interested in this, but I find when there's some stability to my practice, every so often I seek out perspectives on events and issues that are different than mine and I slow down to make sure I'm reading them for two reasons. One is because I wanna work with some of the reactivity. I wanna be able to be around differing views. That's my aspiration. That's one thing. And sometimes even better, I realize I'm wrong about things. And that's such a beautiful gift. And sometimes I can't learn that I'm wrong about things if everybody around me thinks like me. That's a great thing, and can I be open to that? And I'm not saying that always happens by any means, but, but there are times, especially if I can find someone who who I feel like is passionate and thoughtful maybe about a, a different view than mine. It's, it's great practice. And it's also, as I mentioned before, it's one of the values that we try to hold here in our community here. Like yes, we're we're talking about a very particular Buddhist tradition, the, what's called the Insight Meditation tradition. So we're 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 exploring things from a very particular framework and angle. Yet within that framework, there's this value of really allowing for multiple perspectives, to allow for that and to allow for disagreements about maybe how we follow the spiritual path. I think that's important in a community if we're valuing being skillful with views, So again, this doesn't mean I'm not gonna take a stand on something. It means I'm gonna learn how to do that with skill. I I wanna end where I began with. I, I, I feel like this has a potential to allow my heart to reside in a much deeper place a place that's deeper than views and can see views so clearly, and at the same time, be able to engage in views. It's like my heart learns how to reside in something deeper. It begins to reside in presence, which feels deeper than views, or in compassion, which often feels like it's deeper than views or the wisdom that understands the limitations that can come with views. So may we learn learn to skillfully utilize views and at the same time, may we learn to be free of views. Thank you, thank you for your attention. Mm